0: Good evening and welcome. I want to make sure that we are welcoming those who are online as well as you all in person. It's going to be a great evening um, here at the ASU California Center. So we're going to start with, uh, with great respect. ASU and Zocalo Public Square acknowledge that you have, you have Vietam, uh the first people of this ancestral and unceded territory in Yangna that we now know is downtown Los Angeles. We honor their elders, past and present, and the Yuhaviyatam descendants uh, who are part of the Gabrieleno, Tangva, and the Fernando Tataviam nations. I'm Scott Brooks, director of the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. Our mission is to help everyone get the most out of sport. To that end, Our institute studies sports global challenges, educates uh, sports stakeholders as well as future workforce, and encourages sports entrepreneurship and innovation through thought leadership, outreach, educational programs, and partnerships. We are very excited to co-present tonight with Zocalo Public Square and Arizona State Media Enterprise and the UCLA College Division of Social Sciences. Zocalo was founded in Los Angeles in 2003 and is now celebrating its 20th year. Zocalo's mission is to connect people to uh, ideas and to each other, which they do by publishing a digital magazine and bringing people together, convening live events like this. Everything they do is free. And everyone is welcome. I hope you will visit ZocaloPublicSquare.org and subscribe to Zocalo's newsletter and YouTube to find out more about their wonderful, engaging events and programs in journalism. And now I'll turn it over to Dr. Abel Valenzuela to tell you more about UCLA College Division of Social Sciences.
1: Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. My name is Abel Valenzuela, and I serve as Interim Dean of Social Sciences at UCLA. I've been at UCLA for over 30 years, and I've engaged with multiple partners in different spaces across the globe, and of course here in the city of my birth, Los Angeles. And I'm honored to partner with Arizona State University Global Sport Institute and Socalo Public Square for tonight's program. The social sciences at UCLA encompasses over 19 departments and an almost equal number of research center centers where you can find faculty, graduate, and undergraduate students engaged in teaching, in research, and in service. The social sciences at UCLA aims to engage to impact and to make a difference. And we do so with data, with empirics and through scholarly engagement. We take this role very seriously and with the rigor and attention that science demands. I'm honored to lead UCLA's largest division and to introduce to you our moderator, Dr. Rudy Mondragon. Rudy, is an ethnic and sports studies scholar, and he's also a UC Chancellor's postdoctoral fellow in the Institute for Research on Labor and Employment at UCLA. He studies often dismissed sporting spaces of resistance and, I'm really proud to say, the political economy of boxing. His research has been featured in ESPN, Bleacher Report, CNN, The New York Times, Remezcla, Me Too, and the documentary La Guerra Civil. In the past two years, I've learned a lot, a lot about this sport, and I thank Rudy's keen insights. And I'm also very, very proud to serve as his faculty postdoctoral mentor. Over to you, Rudy. Thank you so much. Welcome, everybody.
2: I'm excited to moderate tonight's conversation. Um, And so with that, let's go ahead and meet our fantastic guests. Um, Let's do this.
3: Introducing Andy the Regulator Foster. Sergio, the Latin Snake Mora,
1: and Kaylee KO
3: McKinnonag Reese.
2: Mm, wow. Sogalo, thank you so much for that epic ring entrance. I was very shocked and surprised. Let's, let's go ahead and um, meet our guest today. To my left, let's start with Andy Foster, who serves the California State Athletic Commission as executive officer. Mr. Foster previously served as executive director and head of mixed martial arts referee of the Georgia Athletic and Entertainment Commission. Mr. Foster has also competed in MMA, kickboxing, boxing, and sport grappling, so he has a combat background. Mr. Foster was named 2019 Yahoo Sportsman of the Year in Boxing and has been named Executive Officer of the Year by the North American Boxing Federation in 2012, or since 2012. Next to my left and Andy's left is Sergio the Latin Snake Mora. Good, give it up, give it up. (laughs) He's currently a boxing analyst for DAZN. Previously, he was a professional boxer. He is the former World Boxing Council light middleweight champion and was the first winner of NBC's Contender. So he literally went from contender to champion to commentator. <laughs> and last but not least, Kaylee K.O. McQuinong reese hails from, <laughs> Des, give it up. Hales from East Providence, Rhode Island, is a member of the Siconque Wampanoag tribe and is the first indigenous woman fighter to become a world champion. As a pro boxer, Kaylee has attained six world titles in two weight classes, made history when she participated in HBO's first ever women's televised match in 2018. She uses her boxing platform to spread awareness to various issues such as the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Movement. K.O. is cast to star opposite Jodie Foster in the fourth season of HBO series True Detective, Night Country. So thank you everyone. Let's give it up for our audience and get right into it. For those watching online, we'll be taking questions from the audience, from them, and as well as our live audience here. If you're watching online, you can submit questions to the live chat on YouTube. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with our first question. But before I get to the first question, I just want to situate us and and talk about today's conversation being first and foremost centering the boxer as a worker in this sports industry. As of today, there's over 23,000 registered professional boxers around the world. In the US, there's approximately 3,300 males and 150 female professionals. And we're sitting here in California today, which is the state that regulates the most boxing events in the entire country. We often think it's Nevada because of the pay-per-view marquee events that take place in Las Vegas, but in all actuality, it's the efficient work of the California State Athletic Commission that makes that happen here. In 1962, Muhammad Ali fought here three times at the Los Angeles Sports Arena, and Mexican boxing icons Julio Cesar Chavez and Oscar De La Hoya became world champions at the Olympic auditorium. The nature of today's question, what does boxing owe its champions, is one rooted in igniting conversations and potential future action that will require collective effort amongst all boxing stakeholders to find creative solutions That will positively impact the lives the well-being and the health of all boxers who engage in high risk work i firmly believe that everyone in this world has a boxing story for me and some of you in this room it was watching pay-per-view marquee events pulling money together to watch tyson or chavez fights and I also believe that fighters like the ones we have here on this panel have distinct stories on how they got to their professional boxing stories. So the first question I wanted to pose for Kaylee and Sergio is that there's, there's these different trajectories that people take into boxing, and it's a source of interest for a lot of people. Most people have an understanding based on Rocky, Creed, and Raging Bull. But I know that those stories, those boxing stories, are more complicated and more interesting. So Kaylee and Sergio, can you tell us a bit about your boxing story? How you got started? And the moment that you realized you wanted to turn pro? Well,
4: first of all, thank you so much, Rudy, to Butney, and Wonee Kisuk, everyone. N'utamaz the uh, Ntutaswees uh, Mkwinninog, N'utamaz, Providence, Rhode Island, which means my given name is Many Feathers, Many Talents, and I'm from the Seekonk and Wampanoag tribe from Providence, Rhode Island. Um, this is a loaded question, but I'll keep it as short as possible. Um, I come from a very artistic, musically inclined family. Um, I'm a one of five. I am the baby, so I had to be very, very creative and to kind of getting myself and myself into trouble and out of trouble. Um, I've always been really sporty as a kid, um, but nobody comes in my family. Nobody was a boxer and nobody was a champion. Um, we played basketball. We did art. I'm showing my age here, but my father was on tour with Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Like, you know, we did a lot of music things, but I was always that kid that just wanted to get into something. And the solo aspect of boxing has always been so intriguing, because in a team sport, if you have a bad day, you can have a sub, but in boxing, it's it's very you have to be very self-accountable. And coming from a mixed background of being Cape Verdean or black and indigenous or Native American, not really knowing where my footing was, it was really hard to find where I fit in, and I was always trying to fit in now, knowing I was kind of wasting energy, just kind of just taking the path given to me. So when I was really young, going through a few things, I just really wanted to fight. But um, I had this one guy that was actually a Wampum jewelry maker by the name of Domingo Tall Dog that I found out was a—he's Indigenous man from the Narragansett tribe, was also a fighter. So I bugged him all the time to. We used to go to his um, wampum jewelry stand up Powells, I'm like, can you teach me some moves? And in his very Rhode Island accent, he would tell me, Yeah, you know, you don't really want to be in a boxing ring. You know, you're a girl, you want to do girl things. But I was very persistent, which was one key factor that I was supposed to be a fighter. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Long story short, I finally convinced him to come to the house and show me a few things. And honestly, it was love at first punch. And it was one of those things where I went to the gym. I went to Peter Manfredo Jr.'s gym. (laughs) Sorry. sorry. We'll get to that. We'll (laughs) We'll get get to to that. that. (laughs) Um, I I got to that gym, and it was on a hot day, and I had somebody else telling me what I should or shouldn't do, which was, you don't want to be here. You want to be in the beach. Again, Peter Manfredo Sr. with the, you don't want to be here. You want to be doing this. And um, it was one of those things where I don't have a beautiful story where I sparred, and it was sparks, and I you know knock the girl out I got beat up my very first smoker fight which was a non-stationed amateur fight and it was one of those points in my life where we always have those points in our life where we could take that hard left or that hard right and it was one of those things where this isn't for me I just got beat up this is crazy or how do I make that not happen again and that was a kind of the first bell that rang in my head where I want to figure this out I have to figure this out and coming from the background and the warrior background that I come from and not really again, knowing where my place was in the world at that point in time, so young, I was around 14 when I started, uh, when I walked into that gym, and it was never, I don't wanna do that, let's find an easy way out. It was, okay, how do I make that not happen again? And then it was just, you know, I had to work my way up. I wasn't born a per se fighter boxer. I never had an amateur style background, especially coming from the female aspect of boxing. In 2002, it, women's boxing was at a weird place and we also didn't have women's boxing in the Olympics until 2012 so there wasn't a future that I could foresee, so I had to learn how to fight and I had to learn my place in that world especially being in a male-dominated world and then kind of the rest is history
2: Right on, thank you. Sergio
5: Speaking of Peter Manfredo, I beat him three times <laughs> <laughs> Once an amateur's twice as a pro uh, How I started boxing I needed a high school credit to graduate high school and my counselor at Vale High School, is a continuation school in Commerce. Uh, suggested that I go to a Pell program that had basketball, that had boxing, and that had baseball. And I said, "Well, I used to box. I think uh, I used to box in barbecues. If you guys YouTube Sergio Mora barbecue boxing, you're gonna you're gonna see uh, the East LA version of the Little Rascals, <laughs> and I'm kicking the hell out of all my friends. And uh, that's how I knew I was good at fighting. I was a young kid beating up older, bigger." Uh, Friends, I guess you could say. Knocking them out, actually. And uh, yeah, I joined a boxing gym in East LA in Eddie Heredia. And then from there, I went to uh, Montebello Pell. And no matter where you go, you, know, you need to feel like you're welcome. Then uh, you know a man by the, by the name of John Montalongo, who was a police officer there, took me under his wing. And he, and he promised me two things. He said, well, actually, three things. He said, one, let's give this boxing thing a try all the way to the end. And if it doesn't work out, you can always be a cop. Because he was a cop. Uh, I told him, well, my mom wants me to graduate college and be the first one to graduate college. Well, you can do that too. Uh, so I started boxing because of, of high school credit, knocking out my friends, and this man named John Montalango said, no matter what happens, you're going to be all right. You're either going to be a, a boxer, successful boxer, a police officer, or you can graduate college and, and, and do what you want to do. And thank God you know, boxing worked out for me.
2: Do mm-hmm. you want to share a little bit about the contender? Because I know you mentioned it, um, and I think that's a very, very important story. Well,
5: you know, when, uh, when I missed out by the Olympics, I made the Olympic trials in 2000. I, I lost in the finals to the Jermaine Taylor, who ended up uh, winning a bronze medal in Sydney. So I got that far with only 50 fights, and I thought, wow, you know, I got pretty far with only three years of boxing. Let's give this boxing thing a go. And I gave myself a time limit to 25 years old and then stopped. Uh, so at 24 years old, there was a, a show coming around that a lot of boxers were telling me about. Fernando Vargas was a world champion at that time. I was his main sparring partner. Mm. And he vouched for me and said, hey, I'm going I'm qualif- to put your name up for this, for the contender. You don't need to make a line. You don't need to, like American Idol, there's a bunch of line. <laughs> you don't have to, We're going to cut you across. So uh, he did that. I sparred. They liked me. Um, Sylvester Stallone. They uh, liked me, I sparred, they, they interviewed me, and the rest is history. I made the show, and I, I, I beat these guys, and I, I won a million dollars. I mean, I literally had, I literally, I swear to God, I had insufficient funds going into the contender. I was minus 150 in Bank of America. <laughs> and then uh, less than a year later, thank God, you know, I had, mm-hmm. I had a, that million-dollar prize. And then yeah. from there, I just, you know, I wanted to keep going.
2: Insufficient funds, and you had 12 fights on your record at I that time? I 11 fights. 11 fights.
5: 11 and 0. And my highest payday up to then was uh, $11,000. And I was, I was telling Kaylee and everyone in the back, I thought I was rich with 11,000. <laughs> Shoot, I thought I was rich with a million. Not, not in California. <laughs>
2: Andy, as as um, what I love about you is that you have a sports combat background, and you are the executive officer of the commission here in California. What have you learned in terms of the backgrounds of the fighters that you see come in and out of the sport?
6: Um, it's it's a lot of them are the same the same kind of same kind of uh, story, but uh, I, I I can sort of identify with a lot of the different stories. I mean. Uh, Sometimes boxers or m m a fighters don't fall don't 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 fit into the into the peg of of exactly what society wants you to be mm. and so uh a lot of the boxers they 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 think outside of the box automatically they're mm. a little bit different automatically mm-hmm. I mean, It takes a different person to get hit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely that wants to do it All right they sign up for this. <laughs>
2: I want to get into the sports industry in the boxing world right it's boxers for those that don't know are independent contractors in major league baseball and the national basketball association there's an employee employer relationship in boxing you're an independent contractor and with that doesn't come health care um, a minimum salary and the pension but it's different in california because the other 49 states don't have that we'll get into that in a little bit um, but as independent contractors we think about in this gig economy, Lyft drivers, Uber, and Postmates, and I've been in Ubers and I see Lyft, Postmate, and Uber stickers in there. For a boxer, for the most part, if you are registered with or contracted with a promoter, you're wedded to that promotion. So my question to you all is, what are the challenges of being an independent contractor in this sport, but also what are the benefits? Because I've heard both sides as I've interviewed professional boxers tell me that they like being independent contractors, but there's also challenges. And so um, maybe we could start with Andy, and then we'll talk with, with the fighters from your perspective.
6: I mean, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to mm-hmm. what, what you're talking about. Um, I mean, if you're signed with the promoter, and they'll tell you, you've done pretty good. If if you get golden boy or if you get top rank, you're at least signed. You at least have some degree of income depending on what your management negotiated. What I'm concerned with is the B side. Hmm. The B side that gets the people to get signed. Those people don't have anybody. They don't have nothing. And... They're the ones that I'm more concerned about. That's when we have to put in minimum top purses. That's when we try to we try to do all the various things. And I'm sitting up there. It's almost like I'm playing the prices right with these matchmakers, as to what exactly am I going to allow mm-hmm. without going over. And sometimes I just have a conversation with the matchmaker. What are you paying him?
2: Mm-hmm.
6: Or some. What are you What are you going to pay? And if it's um, because I have a pretty good idea who's going to win all these fights. I just kind of know. You can you get a you get the hang of it. You know you get the hang of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, if they're the B side coming in, you know I, I'm about tired of it. With for I'm about tired of. And we can get into that later. But I I got real tired of them coming up for a dollar. I got mm-hmm. real tired of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I got tired of that pretty quick. And not having enough money to get home, um, so uh, that's the that's the part of boxing that I'm I'm more concerned about. Because if you're wed to a promoter, if you're to use your term, or if you're if you're contracted with a promoter, right. I get to see all those contracts. If I want to, I look at them a lot. Money's often oftentimes not that bad, even even at the bottom. But you have to do so good to even get that, mm. and it's all those. I mean, I bet, I bet there's not. What do you think five I bet there's not five percent of all the boxers got a got a promotional agreement with one of the big ones
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and the b side and what, what is that for folks in the oh, audience that might not know a b side or one dollar contracts? So I think that's very important from the work that you've done, especially as the as executive yeah. officer
6: yeah so um it's 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 important it's important for the public to understand how the boxing industry works versus Mixed martial arts in mixed martial arts, the MMA fighters, the MMA promoters have both sides of the card, so they may have somebody they want to win, right? But they don't really. I mean, if 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 Conor McGregor gets gets beat, ah, it's okay. Plus, there's something about and and this this is important too. MMA you can lose and still be very marketable. You lose in boxing, it's just like a death nail. I, I don't know what it is. Like it mm-hmm. just really goes down. So, um, but what you, with the with if you're signed to a promoter um, um, the promoter wants you to win Mm -hmm. and then they're the ones promoting the show so they're getting like what we call the B side of the term the opponent, Uh, there's lots of terms but the person that they're bringing in to lose Mm
0: -hmm.
6: it's got to be competitive enough for the commission to approve it but flop side enough for their guy to win (laughs) <laughs> I mean, just telling the truth. That's the way it works.
2: Yeah, yeah.
6: And, um, you know, and it's it's those kind of arguments that I have with the matchmakers mm-hmm. um, back back and forth. Yeah. And there was a long time where um, the fighters were getting paid, I mean, so the B side, uh, that's the term, the B side were getting paid a dollar um, to get come up and that they were given tickets and they could go out and sell the tickets and then that would be their purse. And, and that, that wasn't, no, that, I didn't like that.
2: Yeah, and so under the leadership of Andy Foster, you've been with the commission since 2012. Yeah. And so in 2016, there was a regulation that he passed that outlawed the $1 contract days, which they were known as. And so there's progress there. Yeah, absolutely, you give it up. There's, there's progress there, and I think that there's also a lot of momentum to continue to move on um, in the direction that Andy's taking the commission. Um, Sergio and, and Kaylee, maybe we could start with Sergio. Um, independent contractors, the benefits and the challenges.
5: Well, there's uh, a lot of benefits. Uh, after I won the contender, uh, the first thing that uh, you know, good people in my, in my corner, a producer uh, from the show, actually, Adam Bryles, he told me, before you even fight for this million dollars, I, I advise that. You get incorporated. I had no idea what that was. Uh, I, I, I advise you to get you know a financial planner, an accountant, start thinking about. I'm like, well, let let me win the million dollars first, you know. Because no, you got to do it beforehand. So I, I, I would I would really, I would really want to focus with fighters that that they don't know that they're gonna make money until they make it, you know. And 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 then what they do. They usually fall behind on taxes because they don't know where to pay their taxes. They don't know how to apply for it. These are all things that don't get taught. You know, we learn how to fight. And then that's where the middlemen come. That's where the, the people that aren't supposed to be in your team come in. And they say, oh, well, I can take care of that. And you should hire this guy. And you should hire this attorney. And, you should. And, and that's where everyone starts putting their fingers in their pie. There's no union in boxing. There is no protection for the boxer. There's only their uneducated trainer And they're uneducated, you know, cut man. From there, that's where everyone with a suit wants to come in. And the more money, the more sharks. Um, That's the bad side of it. So no, no union. And once you start making those the the big money, you know, uh, just more people come out of the woodwork. So financial education is the the main thing that I would uh, want, you know, fighters to be a part of. Maybe maybe a union, health insurance. How is it that we're we're in the most Dangerous sport, and we don't have health insurance unless we're in the ring, but for eight weeks to get prepared to go to battle, we're not, we don't have health insurance. Mm -hmm. So that's where all the injuries happen when you're getting prepared for a fight. The seven, eight weeks of training, that's where you're getting injured. And every time you actually go into battle and you go into that fight where you're actually, you know, protected by insurance, you already have an injury. You know, no fighter goes into a fight. 100%, 100%, no matter what they tell you. If they put their body through hell for eight weeks, guarantee they have an injury, whether it's a, a sore rib or, or a tweaked finger or, or a tweaked jaw. Something is wrong, maybe a cut that's that healing. There's always an injury going into a fight. So how is it that we don't have some kind of insurance or, or, or protection leading up to the fight? Now, if you get injured during the fight, then yeah, that's a different story. I tore a ligament. And the the, the insurance cost. Uh, I mean, the uh, the surgery was twelve thousand dollars. I wasn't going to pay for it, you know. But since it happened during the fight, I got it covered. Um, but most of the injuries are before that. Mm-hmm. So financial planning, health insurance. You, you, uh, there's so many things that go behind uh, 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 just boxing and making money that 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 can be that can be really solved by putting the right people or union, just like other. Sports, you know, boxing is the only sport where there's no, there's no union, there's no, there's no protection of the fighter. And there's so many people come and take care, take advantage of some of the greatest fighters in the mm-hmm. world, you know, from Muhammad Ali to, to Sugar Robinson to Mike Tyson. These guys made tens of millions of dollars. And at one point in their career, at the highest level, they went broke. How is that possible? Mm-hmm. Because they don't have that financial education. And then the people that are in their corner you know what they're doing. You know, so mm-hmm. these are these are all things that I think can help.
2: Mm-hmm. Kaylee and, and w- thank you so much, Sergio and Andy. Kaylee, um, same question and even thinking about what Sergio said in terms of union. Like there is no boxers union or boxers association. JAB was a, an attempt at unionizing boxing in the state of Nevada, and that didn't um, successfully happen. And I think one of the biggest roadblocks to unionization in boxing is that there is no employer-employee relationship. Who's the closest employer in boxing?
4: I mean, well, I'm glad Jab took a jab at it, but it didn't (laughs) stick. Um, You know, it's funny being in the position I'm in, because I had the chance. I didn't come into this boxing world having a promoter and having my record built. I'm what you would like to call call a road warrior. I started off with no promoter, no manager, sometimes no, no trainer. You know, I come from the B side. I just now have mm. my tra- the trajectory after the Cecilia Breakers fight has kind of changed, and I haven't lost sense And there's been, you know, added an uh, actual team. But you know, I come from the era of number one being on the female side and being on the B side, getting the call, what weight, where, what country? Okay, anybody can anybody go to Germany with me? I've been on that side, having two or three jobs, having a family, and making zero to. I don't know, somewhat okay money, and to, you know, even in uh, stories, and you've heard this story before, to not getting paid for a WBC-sanctioned world title fight in New Zealand.
2: And that's the first time you ever won a world title.
4: Won a world title fight. We headlined an all-female card in New Zealand, and I got... was gonna get paid, I mean, not even a tiny fraction of what you would get paid for a WBC world title fight. And I still went home empty handed and had to go back to my job and go. You know, I was in camp for eight weeks managing a store, had another job as a security guard at a club, as well as had a family to take care of. Traveled all the way to New Zealand for 10 days, 10 days out of work and fought one and then still didn't get paid. So these are the things that like, number one, financial backing, like there's no guarantee. There's other rules and regulations that we could get into as far as once you step on a scale, something happens, you have to get paid. Those are like little details that you can get into, but we take risks. We walk in there, there's no telling whether we're gonna Come out of there, and if you talk to most fighters—not the Instagram fighters, the actual real fighters—we <laughs> get in there, and we don't know if we're gonna make it to our families. I don't know if I'm gonna make it, and we don't—we don't think like that. I don't say I don't know if I'm gonna come home. We just—we want to go do our job. It's an art. It's a job to us. So, the, to financial guarantee, there's no financial guarantee. As Sergio said, there's no health benefits i mean i was living in the state of rhode island and i had to claim homeless to get ebt card and get to get rhode island health insurance because just in case my hand falls off because i'm sure it will at some point i still have to fight i can't you know how many times have you covered up an injury so you could fight so you can make that money and then think about the eight weeks or ten weeks we take out of our lives, by the time we get paid that 11 grand, we are playing catch-up for two months, so that 11 grand turns into eight, turns into five, turns into four. Now it's been a week, I got to fight again. You know, that financial backing, that guarantee, who's your employer and what is the the plan B after boxing? Mm -hmm. Because boxing is not... It's a temporary career. You can't box forever. I mean, even when you start, what age you start. Starting at 2022 as a professional fighter, that's late. You know, females... Our longevity is a little bit longer because the pool is a little little more shallow. But there's no longevity. There's no plan. We don't have a plan. Like We don't walk into this. I want to be pro. I mean, any one of you guys more than likely can go get a professional boxing license. If you meet the criteria physically, that's great. You can be and you can fight and you can try to make it up the ranks. But there's there's no psyche valve. There's no real physical, there's no plan ahead, there's no guidance. I mean you have you know, the old guy in the gym that's been there for centuries, he's part of the gym, that guy has a whole plan of be gonna be a world champion. That's great. But what is a financial plan? What is a health plan? What if this doesn't work? What if something happens, there's there's I know of plenty of fighters as a young kid right now. He was sparring, and he got hit wrong, and now he's, like, brain damaged. He's 19 years old. Like, there's no plan. There's no financial plan. There's no... um, Also, something that I've experienced as a fighter, there's, like, post-fight depression. Mental health in sports Mm. doesn't get talked about. And after you retire, what's your retirement plan? What's your plan B? There's... I mean, we can go on forever, but, like, just some of those things experienced as a fighter, especially being on the B side mm-hmm. and having to play catch-up, having the balance jobs, having negative accounts, having to do all kinds of things to meet ends meet, as well as being on the female side, we don't even talk about the the pay discrepancy there. We'll, right. we'll get to that point, but mm-hmm. there's no... You know, we're used as, um... It's great, it's entertaining, but this is our livelihood. Like, we, all we know is fighting, um, for the most part. We have, you know, there's um other opportunities now for fighters who either come from a fighting family or come from money, can travel to these tournaments. For the, But for the most part, a fighter's story is that we fight because we have to fight, you know what I mean? And it's, at the end of the day, that's great. I just went through an eight-week uh, eight camp, but, I got to fight again in the next two months. Otherwise, I'm gonna have to do something else. I'm gonna have to get another job. I'm gonna have to do something. So that financial help and that guidance, mm-hmm. and also, what do we do with the money when we got it? Do I buy a bunch of gold chains? I don't know. Do I buy a car? You know what I mean? There's like not a plan as, as far as how to handle finances and how to pay taxes, so you don't get that that you know those taxes and everything else kind of catching up with you
2: out of curiosity because i've talked to other fighters and it's not uncommon for fighters to work multiple jobs while they're toiling as boxers so would you be okay with sharing some of those multiple jobs if you did have some of those jobs as you were coming up the ranks as professional boxers sergio and kaylee
5: i used to cut my friend's hair you know uh, for three dollars so i hustled doing that um i i did personal training Uh, i never really had a job so let's start there. I never applied for a job. Uh, the only thing I aspired to was to become a police officer, but I never went that route. Um, so yeah, I just hustled. You know, I, I, I hustled and and <laughs> I did a lot of jobs. I, I did a lot of jobs, but uh, boxing it was always good to me. And thank God, you know, like I said, I had someone in my in my life, uh, a, a police officer John Montalongo, mm. who who somewhat subsidized my career. You know, he would buy me my, my, my equipment and drive me to different places to get sparring, drive me to tournaments. You know, he was like a father figure, and he's still in my life. And, uh, you know, my, I had a great trainer as well. So we, I, had a, I had a great triangle. You know, it wasn't really circles, us three. And we got a long way with trust and luck. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it, it's tough. I, I, I was the B-side as well. A reality show saved me. You know, reality show saved me or else I, would, I, I probably wouldn't have continued because of the lack of respect for the B-side. I was a B-side as well. Uh, if you don't make the Olympics or you're not with a big promoter, which I wasn't, uh, you do get taken advantage of. Uh, and then that's when they start matching you with fighters that you normally aren't supposed to be matched with if they want to take care of you. You know, they can, they can maneuver your career to a world title if they really wanted to. That's the key question. If they really wanted to, if you had that protection, most fighters don't have that protection. So they're going to throw you in with undefeated fighters, young, unknown fighters that are, you know, high knockout ratios, guys that have a losing, uh, a losing record, but they have 100 percent knockout ratios. So say, look, he has 10 losses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he has 20 wins, 19 by knockout. So those are the things where matchmaking comes in and protection comes in, and you have to have the right people uh, to, to, to kind of strategically move you through
2: all the traps. Mm-hmm. Kaylee, do you want to share what, maybe one or two jobs that you did?
4: I started um, bouncing, or club security, just to be technical, um, when I was at the age of 18. I was still an amateur boxer. And I was traveling from Rhode Island to New York every weekend to try to get the right sparring and the right opportunities as an amateur, as well as um, I, I braided hair, I fixed motorcycles. I pretty much did anything that I could get my hands on, but I always had two or three jobs. I worked at an adult store warehouse to pack boxes for shipments. I've done it all. I've done waitressing, anything I could really get my hands on then personal training, especially with... You know, being fitness, it kind of was, you were in the boxing gym. You have people that want to learn how to box. It turned it into um, kind of like classes. Um, I really enjoyed It's Not that it's the greatest paying job, but it's um, one of the job that I still do. Um, I was a residential counselor for a group home for young teen girls. Mm-hmm. And that I also incorporated boxing with it. It kind of just incorporated that. But I would go from there to training, to the, the club, to there. To the, I, w- I just did whatever I could do. Um, to, to make ends meet. <laughs> to, to add on top of that, I,
5: you know, I, I, I rub shoulders with, with a lot of great fighters like Sugar Ray Leonard and so on. And most of the fighters that accomplished the great things never had a job. Mm-hmm. Their boxing was their job, and they had it since they were teenagers. That's the reason they had so much success. The majority of fighters don't have that type of, first of all, that type of talent, that type of backing, and that type of team around them. Uh, so, yes, you do have to kind of be, you know, hustle or be versatile with your time, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and you're not going to be a full-time fighter. Those fighters that are actually full-time fighters, that's, that's a luxury. Most, most fighters, and I would say the majority of fighters, even the successful ones, they're juggling a job or a family or multi- multiple jobs or some even education, but they're juggling more than just concentrating on fighting. And it's normally the guys that make the Olympics or, or come from a team with money that, that get supported enough to where they don't have to do anything else but concentrate on fighting. And that's still not a guaranteed recipe for success. As a matter of fact, I would say the guys that hustled are probably, or the, the women that hustled, are probably more successful than the guys that got back. And that's just my personal story. You know, the, the guys that, that were very successful in the amateurs, the solid sponsors with the teams that you thought, man, they're going to be a shoo-in. Mm. They didn't make it.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: They didn't make it. Not, not, not where I came from, not where I come from in East LA. It's the guys that were under the radar, worked hard. They were good, but they weren't touted as great. Those are the ones that ended up uh, surpassing expectations and being way more than everyone thought, Mm. myself included. Uh, So sometimes all the talent and all the team and all the luck in the world still is not gonna give you that golden path to success. Right. And the hustling's still the best. We're,
2: we're, in, we're in California, and I really want to highlight how distinct and unique California is compared to the other 49 states that regulate boxing. Because, just a reminder for everybody here, there's no unified commission or central governance in boxing. So, Montana, New York, Florida, Texas, California, they all regulate boxing differently. Um, But the one thing that makes California unique from all the other states is that there is a California professional boxer's pension. So, Andy, I wanted to turn it over to you uh, to talk with us about what is the pension and how is it funded, and then we'll turn it over also to Kaylee and Sergio.
6: Yeah, the the California Commission uh, legislature created in 1982 the the pension program. Um, It's funded through um, uh, the ticket assessment on the promoters. It's $0.88 a ticket. Uh, you have to fight seventy five rounds in California at scheduled rounds. Sergio Mora's is vested uh, he 's got a he 's got a pension statement right um, yeah, so if you fight in california you 're out with us uh, by the time when you turn fifty you can you can get your money um, and to to sergio 's point, he was talking about the financial literacy that kind of goes with this. I was talking with Chairman Viegas and one of his big initiatives he was talking about the other day was uh, he wanted to do like get get together and figure out a financial literacy class and see if the fighters would come to it. Now I don't know if they'll come, but we're going to put it together and see. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can help us get the word out. We're going to try right. to see if, if you we build get it, the word it, out.
5: We will come. You yeah. It.
6: So um, it's something he wants to do. So uh, we're going to we're going to try to make that happen.
2: Right, and I mean that the financial literacy part is so important. Um, Talking with Timothy Bradley, Bernard Hopkins, and other fighters who have done things similar to Sergio, um, incorporating themselves, um, having an LLC to be able to write off taxes and things like that is so important, but if you don't have a team around you that can give you that information, then fighters won't necessarily go that route in getting organized. Um, From a fighter's perspective, what does a pension mean to a fighter that is actively pursuing a career in boxing and in retirement?
5: Well, it's, it's very important because no matter how much money you make as as a fighter, uh, it's bound to dwindle away. You know, every, every fighter has you know a trainers and managers and advisors and lawyers and, and nutritionists and strength trainers and blah, everyone has their hand in their pocket when they're making money. But when they're not making money, they have to live off the money they made. And that slowly dwindles away just like everything else as well. Uh, Health insurance is a is a, is a big factor because I never had health insurance uh, my entire career and dangerous sport never had it never had uh, 401k I never had uh, any plans or resources to 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 head me in that direction thankfully I had good people that I met on a reality show and 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 and. Th- other fighters that I know that put me in the right position to get incorporated, to put aside a, a, a SEP IRA, to, to, to be my own boss, and 1099, my trainers, 1099, everybody that's in my, in my, in my team. And that, that's not easy because no, sometimes your
2: team members are like family. How do you tell someone, hey, they are family. 1099?
5: I tell them, this is business, mofo.
2: <laughs> Straight up.
5: And there's, you know, water and blood don't mix. You know, so, uh, and we bleed a lot. Uh, so, yeah, these are all things that you wouldn't know unless somebody, and it's real easy. It, that's the thing, Rudy. It, it's real easy. All you need to actually find somebody that could explain it to you and, and make it real elementary to, to boxers. You can literally save money on everything that you do because you're self-employed. You can start an S Corp and just your clothes, your dinners your entertainment, anything you can write off. And these are all things that we don't know about. And it, and it benefits us uh, whenever it comes to, to, to our taxes. Even a SEP IRA. You know, you can max out your SEP IRA every year. I didn't know this, for like $64,000 a year. That helps a lot. You know, and that helps you with your taxes as well. You know, so these are all things fighters do not know. And that's why you hear so many tales, not only boxers, but athletes, periods, that they go broke that quick because they don't know about that. And it's so simple. So Simple education can actually teach a fighter that. And it just takes one fighter to tell four other fighters, hey, you got to come to this seminar. And if it clicks with one, it clicks with a group, and that's how it starts.
2: Yeah, get that snowball momentum going. Kaylee?
4: Um, I think that's actually a great idea. And I was going to say, I mean, a suggestion that require it in order to get paid, you have to go through this. If you're and You get and you're getting paid, X, maybe even have a cap that if you make X amount and more, you have to go to this place to know how to handle this money. Make it a requirement and not something as a punishment, as an incentive, as you said. Like This is how we handle money. Um, I mean, I think that's, that's, it's a pension or something uh, um, or a, an ending or kind of like a step after boxing having something as an incentive especially financial incentive for fighters or athletes in general is definitely going to make it worthwhile because when you do get that lump sum as a fighter again most of the time we don't know what to do with the the money and we try to hold on to it or make those investments but then what's the end goal you know what i mean for a fighter you know that, not every fighter wants to be a world champion sometimes they just mm-hmm. want to be the best sometimes they just want to get 10 fights sometimes they give themselves a cap at 25 whatever it may be, but there, if there's a finance, especially if you're putting your blood, sweat, tears, time, energy you have family that you take care of, having something like a pension, it's gonna make all that hard work. I mean, those belts I got at home don't pay the bills. You know what I mean? I, I, I did a lot of hard work to get them, but the money I, ha- I, ha- I earned doing that, it's not that that belt's it's great to look at, but what am I gonna sell on an eBay? You know, something like a pension <laughs> to me, I feel is gonna be something that would make it feel like all the hard work and everything we put back into it, it's something that we could we all the champions of boxing. You have to be taken care of because, you know, it's, it's a sad day when you see a, a former world champion, you know, pushing a broom as a janitor because they went through all their, fi- sorry, all their finances and there's no, no help at the end. But I really think that something like that would make it come full circle.
5: And you see it all the time. You see these great fighters, you know, uh, being hosts at casinos in Las Vegas. I mean, it's 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 something that doesn't change. It's a it's revolving Mm -hmm. and it just all we need is is some kind of education. And like I said, I had the right people to put me in that education. But um, it's something that could easily catch fire if it was just a source that was there for us, you know, an outlet that that actually that we can learn off of.
2: There's so much good here that we're, I mean, we're talking about. Um, we're gonna now take the, um, some questions from the audience. And so we're gonna move on to some questions from online world, but also if anybody has a question, there's a microphone over there and they can pose questions to the panelists.
4: Uh, so our first question comes from online. What one thing would you tell your younger self when you began boxing as a key piece of advice for your younger audience who look up to you? Mm-hmm hands up keep your hands up. <laughs> in and outside of the ring i
5: don't know if you wanted to i said this on an interview upstairs there's there's a great lesson in getting your butt kicked mm. you know I, I i think every kid needs to get their butt kicked <laughs> it teaches you humility it teaches you respect for another person teaches you that you're fallible teaches you that you need to work hard and keep your hands up mm-hmm. There's a lesson in getting your butt kicked. Yeah.
2: Do we have a question here.
3: So uh, my name is Gregory Puente, Greg Puente. I'm former California Super Featherweight Champion with 19 professional fights. Mm. I'm also currently a volunteer for the California State Athletic Commission under Andy. So I'm one of the recipients. I think I was the first one to kick off the lost pension fund. And by God's grace, I want to thank the whole commission because I got mine. And there's a lot of fighters that... So my question is, what what can we do about certain programs for the fighters that are unaware that they have it? I I kind of volunteered to locate some. I go to a lot of events. I attend everything here in California. Um, Hall of Fames, meet and greets. I just went to one last week. I fought Sugar Shane Mosley, and he invited me to his mansion two weeks ago, and I promoted some stuff there. So I'm really involved in the sport, but uh, I see at these events these former fighters and the, the need for everything. I mean, they're just literally dying. And uh, I won't mention names, but I'm willing to, to help if we could start implement some kind of programs to get them. Um, I mean, s- they need health insurance, like, like you guys mentioned, they need health insurance, um, funds, um, direction. They need uh, friends. I mean, it's just they're really suffering. So no. I, I would like to step up personally and help out because I'm very, very proactive um, in, in that arena. Um and so my question is uh is there any way we can start to to implement some kind of location to find these fighters that are unaware that they have money
6: I've, 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 we've already got we got an investigator being hired mm-hmm. so that's going to be the that's going to be his or her job transfer the stuff to the division of investigations they're looking and we found a whole bunch of them. we found we found a lot of them we're getting the list knocked down um, work worked with the Mexican consulate, because uh, a lot of our, our recipients, not all of course, but a lot of our recipients are Mexican nationals, mm-hmm. and um, the World Boxing Council has helped us a lot with that because, mm. um, this is a true story, believe it or not, this just happened just the other day, just actually two days ago. I didn't, didn't know this, but if you mail a check from California to, to, the, to Mexico, the fighter has a lot of hard time cashing that check in Mexico. I'm not exactly sure why, but they can't they can't cash it. Hmm. So uh, we're trying to figure out a runaround in the World Boxing Council. We've had this before, where they have uh, cleared the money and then they got the money to the thing on behalf of uh, the mm-hmm. commission. Uh, so we may have to do something like that. Uh, the consulate's also willing to help us. We're looking at something like that. But uh, we're, we're working on it, and uh, we want to get everybody. And I mean, look, this is a good forum for it. If mm-hmm. you fought 75 rounds without a break-in service, uh, we're we're working to try to get try to get you your money. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's the the list is on the website. You can call the office, and um, also another regulation moving forward, not going backwards, but moving forward is we're going to get rid of the break-in service requirement. So it, oh, it, that's great. if you If you just fight seventy-five scheduled rounds in California, you will be eligible. Mm -hmm. And that's scheduled rounds, and that's that's possible. We have a lot of fighters. You mentioned three thousand two hundred of of uh, uh, across the nation. California's got twelve hundred of those. Wow,
2: wow. I think the academic, um, as an academic, as a professor, it's also one of the responsibilities and charges that I want to take um, in terms of helping with the outreach and really educating audiences about what, what it means for the boxer to be first and foremost the worker. Um, and so I think the, building those worlds together, academics, policymakers, um, and all boxing stakeholders, it, it requires this collective effort. Uh, two questions. One, what kind of responsibility do the organizations like WBC, WBO have to take care of these fighters, any fighter that would fight for, for a belt? Um, second question: What, uh, probably more so for you, Andy? What would be the likelihood of some type of collaboration between state athletic commissions from different states? Mm. Um, well, yeah. I mean, the, the
6: the first the first part of the question. Um, I know that the WBC has a lot of different programs. They have like a, a pension program, also. They have like a um, an insurance program. They they have some things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, IBF as well, correct?
6: IBF as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think the WBA if they could, but I don't. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall if the WBO does. I don't probably. You might as might know. I I, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh but I know that for a fact the WBC does. Right.
0: Um
6: and then with uh the collaboration with the other state athletic commissions, um I mean I, I'm open to it, but I mean you've gotta want to do it. You've got to w- want want to do it. And um the pension fund here in California has been um uh passed since nineteen eighty two. Um when the Ali Act was passed, you'd probably know the date better, but the the Federal Trade Commission put in that the commission should I mean, look at doing a pension fund for the mm-hmm. California's the only one that That followed. Uh, so um California's unique in a lot of a lot of ways mm-hmm. um uh, across a whole variety of spectrums and boxing's not uh not any different than that. California puts a lot of focus on on combat sports and mm-hmm. you have consumer affairs back in the commission on all their plays and you have a commission that's pretty engaged and they're always uh focusing. We have chairman that comes to the fights. People care here. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so uh and I can say that from state of Georgia. Not trying to knock, I've run the Georgia Commission for a long time. I'm not sure that the appetite is there in a state like Georgia to to, to follow up with for, for boxing. Not that not that people don't like boxers there. It's just it's uh, not not the same degree of appetite.
2: Yeah. And then thinking about the WBC, the World Boxing Council, the International Boxing Federation, who have. Uh, the CARES program and pension-type funds as well. Um, ideally, in a, good, in a perfect world, is how do we move forward with um, not individual support programs like that, but what does it look like if we structured that type of benefit, those types of protections for fighters, like hazard pay or workers' comp? Because in boxing, if you're suspended, and correct me if I'm wrong, as, as, as fighters, if you're suspended 30 days or 60 days, there is no workers' comp, there is no hazard pay.
5: Even worse than that, um, I was uh, signed on. I signed a contract to fight for the middleweight title once against Jermaine Taylor, and another against Kelly Pavlik. I had a eight week camp the entire time. I was ready for the fight and a week before both those fights. The fight got canceled. Hmm. So the you know ten to fifteen thousand dollars that I spent in camp, no one pays me back for that. Uh, the purse that I was supposed to earn when I was going to fight these champions. I never fought them, so I didn't get it. Uh, so there was no insurance on, on that. Uh, there, there's plenty of things that go wrong with with, with fighters, and and that is not going to change. But as far as as far as the the pension and the attention that it can get, social media. I mean, I just started social media a few years ago, and I wish I would have started it earlier. And the only reason I started is because I was fading off into the sunset. I, you know, my <laughs> so I, I read a quote that says, uh, "If you don't like changing to like being." Irrelevant even less. So I started social media, Uh, but social media—I mean, it it works. It 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 really works. So if you guys really, really, the pension fund—I just found out about my pension. Not you in the back right now, but literally what three weeks ago? I think it was when I met you, Rudy. Yeah. So I called and I said, "Yeah, I got a little bit of money coming." I said, "All right, I can get it in a few years. You know, I'm in my early 40s when I'm 50. Thank God, you know, I, I, I don't need it. Thank God, but." It's enough money where, where it, it can be, it can help. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known about it. So a tweet will go around the world before you can put on your shoes.
2: So are you saying that the next time you have a show that you announce for DAZN in California, you're gonna make an announcement about the pension? Not if they don't pay me. <laughs> <laughs> we got the next question.
1: These
3: are our two last questions here. Hi, thank you. My, my name's Alan. Uh, to piggyback on the previous question, um, we live in one of the most regulated states in the nation, right? And given the volume of uh, commission fights, why isn't there some type of collaboration between CSAC promoters and venues to implement some type of fee structure? I mean, you, you buy a cup of coffee and someone's flipping an iPad around for a dollar or $2. Why can't we add fee structures to tickets or to venues or to commission events in California to assist with the pension program?
2: Uh, uh, you, yeah, and that's, that's something that's already kind of in place, right, Andy? Yeah, I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the,
6: the, the tickets are where the... Money for the pension comes from. It's the only place it comes from mm-hmm. currently. Uh, the commission has some um, unique new ways that we're working on to potentially greatly, greatly increase the pension revenue, um, and uh, we work working on on that in the in the future. Mm-hmm. But um. But the the key is this pension is totally funded by the events. The general fund is not paying. Any 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 money from this? Taxpayers are not paying mm-hmm. for this. This is this comes directly from the from the industry.
2: Yeah, and you you're working on an initiative right now where you're looking to raise money for the pension with the license plates, right? Uh,
6: yes, that's something that uh, the commission's taking up at the next uh, next commission meeting. I talked to Chairman Viegas about it. We're mm-hmm. putting on the agenda and we're talking about it. And the idea is, you've saw those specialty plates that you've seen, like right. Tahoe. There's lo- lots of different ones. We're looking to do something. Um, of course, it's still in the early stages, but if, if the commission approves the design, then we're going to submit it to the DMV um, and uh, um, maybe have boxing and mixed martial arts, um, a in Muay Thai, all of our mm-hmm. combat sports, a yeah. uh, um,
2: something. So the revenue from should. those license plates purchased would help and increase the the pension. That's that's that's
6: the that's goal. That's, the, goal. that's mm-hmm. the idea behind it. Yes. Right on.
4: This is our
1: last question. Yeah.
6: Um, hi, I'm Carlos. Um, this question is more for Kaylee and Sergio. Um, I train at a B-side gym, and our pros are obviously heavily exploited. Um, some of us are taken to fight like former Olympians, and they're getting paid maybe like a very low couple thousand. And our fighters get heavily discouraged to keep pursuing their dreams, because obviously when they turn pro, and I think a lot of people when they turn pro, they think they're going to be world champions, and they think they're going to be the best. Um, but after losing a couple fights, they become heavily discouraged. Uh, to keep pursuing their dreams, and even the money they receive is obviously not enough, and our boxers have to work multiple jobs, and still a lot of them are in heavy debt from traveling, Uh, some of them are contracted all the way, like, in Denver. Um, So, to me, it's like, what is your advice to these boxers? How can they better stand up for themselves against promoters, and how can can they
2: mentally recover from the feeling of lost hope?
4: This is a loaded question, but it's a very good question, if you don't mind me. Um,
2: That's the future uh, professor of boxing right there.
4: Well, I'm saying, you came with a notepad and everything. You were (laughs) prepared. I can see where he got that from. Um, Like, previously mentioned me personally, coming from, you know, like I said, I didn't start off this glamorous, you know, life. You know, the trajectory of my career changed actually when I fought the HBO fight, and I haven't lost since with guidance, with the right team, with the right people behind me with I finally have a manager now he started managing me back in 2016 Brian Cohen as well as surrounding your people with surrounding yourself with people that believe in you and like I think Andy you mentioned it like the the when you get a loss in boxing for whatever reason it's like like you said it's like a death nail I have seven losses but I have six world titles as well and you might have to change your goals. You might have to make your goals as far as locally. Um, there's it's a very loaded question, but I mean, it sounds very cliche. You can't lose your hope, and the way you get to whatever your goal is is probably gonna have to change. It's gonna have to adjust with the times, maybe your location, who you're um, who you're around, but having people who really believe in you and having that good support system. Your gym sounds awesome. I'd love to go to your gym, number one. But, um, it's a, it's a very, very lonely sport, because even though you have those people surrounding you, you're still the only one fighting. So, you know, ask those fighters in the gym, ask yourself why you do it. What is your why? Mm. You know, why, why do you fight? Do you fight for likes? Do you fight because it looks cool? Do you fight for survival? Do you have to fight for financial help? I mean you really got to find your why and if it's if it's worth it then do it you know what i mean you might not be a world champion but you can have stories to tell and you can feed your family and you can maybe can lead you into something else i my current career right now i'm still fighting but i this boxing is is was a catalyst to lead me into a different career into acting never did i ever dream of being in acting but it actually your, your your boxing or what you're doing now is not, it's very temporary. You know, it could lead you into something else. It can lead you into speaking. It can lead you into another job. Mm-hmm. You can run into somebody that might have a different idea. So continue, keep, keep punching. You know what I mean? Keep those goals alive and just know that boxing can be a catalyst to launch you into something you've never even imagined.
5: Yeah. Uh, my advice
4: is going to sound harsh and
5: Wrong. But I've said it at a Fortune 500 speech with Sugar Ray Leonard. I've I've said it in high school speeches and it it resonated. I'll tell your friend. What's his name? I'll tell him know when to give up on a dream. Mm. Sounds wrong. But some things are just not for you. There's things as destiny, faith. But if things aren't falling in order for you on your way to your dream, that whole don't stop, never give up nonsense because you can be 25 years old if in boxing and still don't have no education, no work experience, no computer experience and next thing you know you're 27, 28, 20 and you don't have that and you're still chasing a dream. So know when to give up on a dream. If it's not for you, if things aren't panning out, if, if the the ducks aren't lining up in your just it's not for you. It's not for you and and, and there's no shame in that. It's smarter to know that that you could, you tried. It's a tough sport but now I'm going for something that's legitimate. I'm gonna go for a trade, I'm gonna go for a, a, a college degree, or I'm gonna go for a, even junior college degree, whatever. But just know when to give up. It sounds wrong, but believe me, there's so many fighters that I know that were a lot better than me, way more talented than me, that didn't make it.
2: Mm. Honest and hardcore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything we gotta right close right. out, um, but thank you so much to the audience here. Thank you so much for this great conversation. Uh, you'll be able to find a summary of our talk at Socolopublicsquare.org by tomorrow, plus interviews with all the panelists. You can also subscribe to Sokolo's newsletter, podcasts, and social media. Andy, Sergio, Kayo, again, this was great. Thank you so much. Another round of applause for our great panelists.